That's better. This is how I really am. This is me. Lucille Morrow. Mildred wasn't important anymore, though her portrait still hung on the living room wall, and now and then she bobbed up in dreams. A fat cupie doll carved out of soap, Lucille thought. Something doughy and sticky you couldn't get off your hands. She picked up a brush and began to brush her hair vigorously. With each stroke, the dream receded and the doll blurred and melted. Her moment of insecurity had passed and left her with a more conscious sense of possession. This was her hand, her brush, her house, her husband whistling in the adjoining room. Only the children could never belong to anyone but Mildred. For Andrew's sake, Lucille had tried to like them and make them like her in return, but they remained Mildred's children, and she was uneasy with them, and the most she ever achieved was an armed truce. Still, they were no longer children. Polly was getting married this week, and someday Martin would marry, and she and Andrew would be left alone in the house. With Edith, of course, but she didn't count. Her hand paused. She gazed into the mirror and saw the future stretching out in front of her, a length of red velvet carpet covered with a marquee. She dressed quickly and coiled her hair in a coronet around her head. Like a queen, she moved out into the hall, proudly but cautiously, as if she must test the red velvet carpet and measure the height of the marquee. She walked down the stairs, enjoying the sound of her taffeta morning coat following her with obsequious little noises like a genteel servant. Upstairs, a door slammed and Andrew's voice shouted, Lucille, wait a minute, Lucille. She paused at the bottom of the steps. What is it, Andrew? What's happened to my scarf? Lucille checked an impulse to say, what scarf? She said, all your scarves are in your bureau drawer. I'll accept this one, and this is the one I want to wear. Naturally. What did you say? Lucille raised her voice. I said, naturally, the one you want to wear is the one that isn't there. It's the other way around, Andrew shouted. The one I want to wear is the one- All right, Lucille said, smiling. What does it look like? Blue. Dark blue with little gray things on it. He came to the head of the stairs and gesticulated. Little gray things like this. He was a tall, gray-haired man, nearly 50 now, but he was still slim, and he had the quick, vigorous movements that characterized his son Martin and his sister Edith. His features were thin, almost delicate, but he had large, soft brown eyes which gave his face an oddly guileless expression and caused him trouble now and then with his women patients. Like many really good-natured men, when he tried to look cross, he overdid it. He sent a ferocious scowl down the steps at his wife. Somebody gave it to me for Christmas last year, he said. I did, Lucille said serenely. And it's not blue, it's black. Have you looked under your bed? Yes. Andrew, why? Why do you always look under beds for things first? It's the logical place. So much room. Lucille, you wouldn't come up and- I wouldn't, Lucille said. If I came up and found it for you, it would only make you crosser. I promise. No. She turned calmly and walked away, flinging over her shoulder. Try the cedar closet in the hall. Ignoring Andrew's noises of distress, she went into the dining room. Edith and Polly were already at breakfast, 
Edith was buttering a piece of toast with the precise contemptuous movements of one who despises food as a necessary evil to be gotten over with as quickly as possible. Polly, a cup of coffee in front of her, was smoking and gazing dreamily out of the window. Good morning, Edith, Lucille said. She bent over Edith's chair, and the cheeks of the two women touched briefly. It was a routine of long standing. They were fond of each other, in a dry, expedient way. For they were of the same age, and they were interested in the same thing. Andrew. Good morning, Polly. Morning, Polly said without taking her eyes from the window. Good morning, Edith said. Sleep well? Fine. More than I did. Her voice was so high and sharp that it seemed ready to break into hysteria or snap with a death twang like a violin string. Every year it seemed to Lucille that Edith's voice got higher, that the string was pulled more and more.